Hey everyone, welcome to Tom French Preaching. This is the podcast of me, Tom French, preaching, just like the title says. I'm a guy who lives in Melbourne and does Bible talks for youth and other people around Australia and all over the internet. I'm also the author of Weird, Crude, Funny and Nude, The Bible Exposed, the very best book that I have ever written. For more information about my book or to see what else I've been up to, go to my website, tomfrench.com.au. And with that, let's get on with the talk. Well, as a kid, my uh, parents uh, never regularly let us have dessert. The only times that we were allowed dessert was when we had friends over. And then when the friends came over, then we would be allowed dessert. And every now and again, then there'd be leftover dessert. And so then the next night, then we would also get dessert. And that was a very good time of year. But then the rest of my life, there was no dessert. But now I am grown up, which means I can have dessert whenever the heck I want, which is really good. I have a favorite dessert, which is chocolate self-sourcing pudding. Uh, I love it. And uh, I am not a particularly great dessert chef. I am a particularly great uh, you know, scrambled eggs maker. That's about it. Emily, my wife, she is a great dessert chef. And so every now and then when I'm sitting on the couch, I remember that chocolate self-sourced pudding exists. And I'll turn to Emily, I'll say, Emily, do you feel like making some chocolate self-sourcing pudding? And she was like, oh, I reckon I do. And I was like, great, let's do it. She's like, okay. I was like, because we can do anything because we're adults. It's like, yes, we are. And so then she goes to the kitchen and she makes the self-sourcing pudding. And then as you know, it's cooking, I, I smell it. And then it comes out of the oven and I serve it up and I sit down, I eat the pudding and it's amazing. I love the fluffy chocolatey pudding. I love the sauce on top, the hot sauce and the cold creamy ice cream, it's great. And then I finish my bowl of pudding and then when it's done, I'm like, oh, I feel like some more. And I say, Emily, do you think I should get some more? She's like, you can do whatever you want. You're an adult. I say, I can. I'm an adult. So I go and I get myself a whole nother bowl of self-sourcing pudding and I'm eating the pudding and it's great. And then I finish it off. And when I finish it, things aren't so good anymore. <laughs> then I feel like I've eaten too much pudding and I really loved the pudding, but then it stopped being fun. And there was this moment during the pudding eating where life was perfect where I was not, a lot, not dissatisfied because I had not had enough pudding, and I was not unhappy because I had had too much pudding, but for one fleeting moment, I had the perfect amount of pudding, and then that moment was gone. And that is kind of what life is like for us. That life, we spend our life searching for happiness, searching for pleasure, and, and, and we're having a really good time until until we get to the point where we've had too much. Or whatever we're doing is good, it's good, and, but when we're doing it, we want more. We want more, we want more, until we've had too much. And pleasure is like that. We are looking at pleasure today. You guys have been studying the book of Ecclesiastes over the last few weeks, and as we're looking at Ecclesiastes today, we're looking at this idea of pleasure. And the teacher who is uh, working, teaching us through Ecclesiastes, in this point, point in the passage, uh, he talks to us about pleasure as he tries to discover uh, whether pleasure can give us meaning in life, whether pleasure can give us the good life. And the problem with pleasure is 
uh, that it is always dissatisfying. We never have enough until we have had too much. There is very rarely a point where we can stop and say, this is right, this is enough. And even if we get to that point, it doesn't last very long. When you look at the way that the teacher writes about his experience of pleasure, uh, when you heard it read, you might have heard him say, that sounds like a pretty good life to me. Uh, He talks about the things that he discovers. He says, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is meaningless. What does that accomplish? Sorry, is madness. What does pleasure accomplish? His first, the first thing that he discovers is that laughter is madness, which when you think about it, it is kind of strange. Like we think something is funny. And so we open our mouths and we make strange noises. Like if you're an alien from outer space and you saw humans like, oh, ah, 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 you'd be like, that is a strange thing that's going on. But he's not actually just saying, you know, we make strange noises, but he's saying laughter, even if we're laughing at the, like the crassest jokes, like that doesn't give us what we want. It can just be craziness. And even if we have pleasure in the, the most highbrow things, we enjoy a great work of art, that doesn't give us what we want either. And as we go through the passage, we continue to see what he does. He seeks, to, he seeks wine and being, finding pleasure from drinking wine and embracing folly. Uh, some people say that as he, they read this, it says that he goes on and says, my mind's still guiding me with wisdom. So they say, oh, the Bible comments say, oh, well, he had two drinks and then he stopped. And then he thought, well, I'm not happy. But I, I don't think that's what it's saying. I think he got completely smashed and then woke up in the morning and was completely hungover, and the wisdom came to him and said, this is not as good as I thought it would be. This does not give me the pleasure that I am looking for. Uh, He goes on and he decides to do some great projects. He creates his garden. He plants vineyards. Uh, He has a great engineering project of having uh, water reservoirs to to give water to his uh, vineyards and, uh, and gardens. And that doesn't give him pleasure. Uh, It doesn't give him meaning in life. It says that he buys slaves, people to wait on him and give him whatever he wants. He has flocks and herds. He has more money uh, than any of us could imagine, any of us can dream of. Uh, he uh, He has people who entertain him day and night, entertainment on demand. He has women that he can sleep with whenever he wants. And all of these things do not give him the meaning that he is looking for. He says, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. It is meaninglessness to him. Now, I don't know what people have said about the word meaninglessness uh, and how it's translated uh, in the previous sermons on this, but one of the best translations that, that I heard, or the one that you know, resonates with me most, I'm not a great Hebrew scholar, so I don't know exactly what's going on, but the one that seems to make the most sense is this idea of meaninglessness uh, being about, it's like the word for smoke or fog, that is something that you, you cannot grasp. Like it's there, you know it's there, but if you try and get it, you can't hold on to it. It doesn't hang around and then it's gone. And isn't life, you know, us grasping at things that we can hold on to, a meaning that we can hold on to and last that gives us something solid to live with, to build our life around? 
Well, he's saying that pleasure is not that thing. Pleasure is here and then it's gone. It's, it's unsatisfying until it is too much. Pleasure will let you down. If you spend your life seeking after pleasure, you will not get what you are looking for. Now, in our society, the way that we respond to this is we, our answer for pleasure is if pleasure is not making us happy, is that we then say, well, I guess I need more pleasure then. Like, if, you are, if your money isn't making you happy, you need more money. If sex isn't making you happy, you need more sex. If drinking isn't making you happy, you need more drinking. If your holiday isn't making you happy, you need better holidays. If your house isn't making you happy, you need a bigger house. If your job isn't making you happy, you need a better job. The solution is not to say, oh, something's gone wrong here. Maybe I should seek something else. But this thing isn't working for me. I need more of this thing. And we have a, a society where our main goal in life is to seek happiness and pleasure. You might have heard people talk about their kids. They say, what do you want for your kids? It's like, what I want for my kids is just that they would be happy. And that's a nice, you know, there's no pressure there to be a lawyer or a doctor or an amazing athlete, but there is pressure there to be happy. Because if the kid then grows up to not be happy, then they've let their parents down. But we want happiness above, above anything else. And we seek happiness and we seek pleasure, but it is meaninglessness. It is a chasing after the wind. So what we learn from this is that we should not place our hopes in pleasure because it will not satisfy us. Pleasure cannot give us what we want. If we place our hope on pleasure, it will collapse under the weight of our expectations. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we had, at my parents' house, we had a, a washing line. It was a hills hoist. So it was one of those washing lines that, you know, spun around, which is a great invention, you know, because you don't have to move around the washing line to take your washing to it. I mean, you know how it works, but I'll tell you anyway. But you can bring it towards you, and then you put, you know, your clothes on the empty part of the line, put it around a bit, a bit more. It's, it's great. But as a kid, I was not interested in hanging out the washing, but I was interested in the fact that this was the thing that swung around, and that I could, you know, put down the washing line to the lowest point, and then I could reach up and I could grab one of the arms of it, and I could run around the yard and then hang off it and swing around the yard. And in my parents' backyard, it's not a flat backyard, uh, but it's got a bit of a slope and then it, you know, then quite a large drop off. And the, the, the washing line would go out over the drop. And so I'd run around, then I'd grab onto it, and I'd swing out over the drop, and it would be great until I'd come back around to safety and I'd land, and then I'd do it all again. And my friends and I did that for hours and hours in the afternoons when my mum wasn't home to get us in trouble. And it was lots of fun, but over time, as I grew up, uh, I continued to do it, and the washing line didn't quite manage to cope with the weight of me. And uh, it started to bend, and the arms bent, and the... the pole in the middle bent and the washing line stopped spinning properly so it wasn't good to swing on and it stopped spinning properly so it wasn't good to hang your washing on either until it had to be replaced. The washing line was never meant to carry the weight of me and my friends and it collapsed under the weight of us. Well that's kind of what happens when we put our hope in pleasure. Pleasure is not designed to give us meaning in life. When we seek to, be, to find meaning in, in all the things that bring us enjoyment, then it is not enough. And it will collapse under the weight of our hope and our expectations. So we should not place the meaning in our life 
the hope for a good life in pleasure because it will not satisfy us. That is what the teacher discovers and chances are that's what you've discovered too. But if we hear that, then we say, well, what then should we do with our lives? Should we commit ourselves then to, to not chasing frivolous things like you know, parties and movies and good books and having a fun time? We shouldn't chase those things. We should just chase good Christian things, like making sure we spend our time reading the Bible, telling people about Jesus, make sure we just do the good Christian things and the rest is just frivolousness, so we'll ignore it. Well, I don't think that's what the Bible is saying to us. It's not saying that we should never enjoy ourselves or never do anything that is good. We shouldn't put too much on pleasure, but we shouldn't put too little on pleasure too. You know, what we see later on in Ecclesiastes in uh, chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, the teacher says this, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaninglessness, a chasing after the wind. What he's saying there is that God gives us good things, things to be enjoyed. These are from the hand of God. And so we should not make too little of pleasure. We don't have to spend our whole life, you know, just seeking to, you know, do the right thing, to do a good Christian job, to earn enough money so I can give it to the church or make sure I'm at work so I can, you know, tell people about Jesus. But no, we can enjoy the good things of life. They are gifts from God to us. There are things that God gives us just to be enjoyed. Uh, I am originally from Sydney and moving from Sydney, a lot of people ask me the question and they say, what is, which city is better, Sydney or Melbourne? And I generally say something, you know, non-committal, like, you know, Sydney is more pretty, but Melbourne is easier to live in. But I'll tell you something, that Melbourne does a whole lot better than Sydney, and that's its roads. Now, I know that's not exciting, but Melbourne just does roads better than Sydney. Like, Melbourne has well-designed roads that you can get around, you know, easy to get places, wide roads, you know, it's, it's a good place to get around. Sydney, the way the roads are designed, it's designed, you know, so that you drive along and you hate yourself and you know that the government hates you too. Like, that is the way that Sydney's roads have been designed. And one of the great things about Melbourne's roads is not just that, you know, that the, the roads work, but I've noticed that there's art on the side of the road. Like, if you drive along the motorways, there's art there. Like at the Flemington Road exit on the City Link, just near where I live, I can look off my balcony and I can see a big, giant yellow thing sticking up into the air. And, and people call it the cheese stick when they're being kind about it. And, uh, and what is the point of that thing? Now, I looked it up and it's, you know, representative of the gold rush or something, but really, it's just a big yellow thing that's sticking up in the air. So that as you're stuck in traffic, you can look up and go, wow, there's a big yellow thing. Isn't that nice? Because it, you know, brightens your trip down the, the, the expressway. And, you know, if you drive down the East Link, which I used to do quite a lot, there's, like, art everywhere. There's, there's like, you know, spinning flowers and, you know, like a giant animal skeleton. There, there, there was a big nine-metre-tall chrome garden gnome. And my favourite one is this one called, uh, which is a, a, called the East Link Hotel. 
And it's this hotel which you drive along and it's about a third of the size of a normal hotel. And the first time I saw it, I was like, that hotel is in a strange place and it's, it's a long way away, but it seems quite close to the roadway. This is a bit confusing. And then the next time I drove past, I looked at it and I went, I don't think it's the right size. And then I drove past again and I went, I think that's art. There's art on the side of the road. And then every time I drive past, I look and I'm like, look at that hotel, that's amazing. And then I like to imagine that every now and then people pull off the side of the road because they need somewhere to stay and then they go to this art hotel and then there's a, the little person who's a third of the height of a normal person and welcomes them in and they stay in this room that's a third of the size of a normal room and then they leave and like, well, this is a strange place. It was a little small. They give it a, you know, okay review on TripAdvisor and then they leave and the next night they get a normal sized hotel. I like to imagine that that's what happens. And as I drive along, I just enjoy thinking about these things. Now, what is the point of all this art on the side of the road? Well, I'm sure somehow it makes the toll road people more money but I think in general, it's just there to be enjoyed. It's there to look at and, and to say, well, if there's some nice stuff on the side of the road. And there's so much in life that is just there for us to enjoy, that is a good gift from the hand of God, that we can look at it and we can say, isn't that good that God has given it to us? We can read a book and say, isn't it good that God has given that to us? We can hug someone and say, isn't it good that God has given it to us? We can eat chocolate self-sourcing pudding and say, isn't it good that God has given it to us? God gives us things to be enjoyed. He didn't have to make a sunset look nice or a flower smell nice. He didn't have to make the stars the way they are, but he did it so that we can enjoy them. We shouldn't make too little of pleasure. God gives us good things to enjoy, so go and enjoy life, but do not put your hope in it because it is a fleeting pleasure that will not satisfy you. It is a good gift, but it is not a good God. <clears throat> now, the last thing that we discover is that if it is a good gift, but if it is not to be everything that we put our hope in, then we can use it as something to point us to what it is that we should be hoping in. That if we are dissatisfied, by the pleasurable things that we find in our life, if we are not satisfied by our friendships, if we are not satisfied uh, by our work, if we are not satisfied uh, by the, the movies that we watch, if we are not satisfied by the sport that we play, if we are not satisfied by these things, then we should use that dissatisfaction to point us to what it is that we will be satisfied in, to see that we are made for something more than what we are living right now. Uh, there is this thing that has happened since, you know, like the internet has come around, is that movie trailers have become a really big thing. Like in the old days, you go to the movies and watch trailers, they were okay, but now there's a big deal about watching movie trailers. When a new movie is coming out, you get excited about the trailer. Well, I don't know about you guys, I get excited about movie trailers. Like I'm really excited when they tell me that there's new Avengers trailer going to come out or a new Star Wars trailer come, is going to come out. I, get, I look forward to it. You know, people jump on the internet and they, you know, millions watch it in the first you know, 20 minutes of that out. They put out trailers for trailers now. That's how big a deal that movie trailers are. I remember when the first uh, trailer came out for Star Wars Episode Seven. I woke up in the morning, I was like, oh, the trailer's out. And I turned to Anne, I was like, the trailer for Star Wars is out. So we sat up in bed and we watched the trailer. And it was so exciting. You know, I, I was filled with joy and excitement for that, you know, one and a half minutes. I was like, this is amazing. This is the greatest moment of my life. And then it was over. 
And then I was looking forward to, to when the actual movie came out. And uh, as we were waiting, I watched the trailer a few more times, and then another trailer came out, I watched that. And the whole point of trailers is to be enjoyable, but also to breed dissatisfaction in you. You're not meant to finish the trailer and go, well, that was good, now I don't need to watch the movie. No, you're meant to watch and go, well, that was good, now I really want to watch the movie. And if I just watched the Star Wars trailer and was like, well, I'm done now, people were like, no, you've got to watch the movie. And then when the movie actually came out, I watched it and I had a great time. It was just, you know, the same thing, but a hundred times longer. And I was happy the whole time. I was like, this is great. Well, the life that we get now, the pleasures that we get now, they're just the trailer for the, the, the world that is to come, for what we have truly been created for to enjoy the, the, the new creation where we get to live with God, to be in perfect relationship with Him. We will not find true satisfaction now in anything. Not even in your relationship with God will you find true satisfaction now because even that is tainted by this broken world. But let your dissatisfaction point you to the fact that you were made for more and God has more in store for you. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his sermon called The Weight of Glory, uh, talks about this idea, this idea that this dissatisfaction that we have uh, in, in our memories or in the books we read or in our relationships with others, it points us to the fact that we are made for more. He says this, the books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them and what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself, they are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited." We can look at our dissatisfaction and know that that too is a gift from God. That there is more to come for us. That one day we'll be welcomed into His eternal kingdom as He remakes this world and invites us to live in His new creation with Him where we will see what we were truly created for. To truly enjoy His creation. To truly enjoy each other. To have satisfaction that lasts and lasts forever. And as we want to know what that looks like, we can, first of all, look to, to the one who has come from the place that is true satisfaction, Jesus Christ. God himself who came to live with us and live in this broken world, we see in him what it means to live now and to live for the future. We see in Jesus the person who loved and loved well, who deeply lived, had great relationships, who felt deeply, who laughed, who cried, and ultimately ended up dying because of the brokenness of this world. You see, the worst things of this world in the life of Jesus is He, the best person, suffers under the evil of humanity. But then you see also that He rises again. And in that resurrection, there is our hope that that is what we will be like too if we trust in Jesus. Because of His death and resurrection, we can have satisfaction that lasts forever, pleasure that lasts forever, because He has won it for us at the cross and He has shown us what life forever looks like 
in his resurrection that he will give to us in our life forever with him if we trust in him. We can look to him and know that what we are longing for is not a pointless hope. We do not have to live in despair because we will never be satisfied. But we can live in joy, knowing that what we were made for has been answered in Jesus. And we will find it in him when we live forever with him in the new creation. Let our dissatisfaction in the pleasure now point us to the satisfaction we will have in the future. Pleasure is a terrible God, but it is a good gift from God to be enjoyed now and forever in the future with him. How about I pray for us? Father God, we thank you that you are a God who gives us good gifts. I thank you that you allow us to be dissatisfied so we do not become complacent. That we do not find our hope in this world, but we find it in you, in your son, and in the life that is to come. I pray that we will not put all our hope in pleasure, that we will not spend our whole life just trying to be happy, but we will know that, that there is more for us. I pray that we will not see pleasure as too little, too small, but we will enjoy the good gifts that you give us. And I pray that we will see our dissatisfaction as a gift from you to know that there is more for us, and that we will seek after it and find it in you. Amen. Well, that was the talk, and I hope it was helpful for you. If you want more talks or to read my blog or order my book or even to book me to speak, remember to go to tomfrench.com.au. It's my home on the internet. You can also find me on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash TWFrench or on Insta at TWFrench. And don't forget to give this podcast a rating and review wherever you get your podcast so that other people might be able to discover it too. Till next time, have a good one.